Don't say I'm, I'm recording now, so don't say anything wild. Stop uh, all your racist talk, Mark. Shit. <laughs> all right. All right. Welcome to the Action Shooting Show. Um, sponsored by Primer & Co. So um, go to PrimerAndCo.com for all your 2A apparel. We're going to jump right into it. We're going to try to keep this under an hour. Today is the Guardian After Action Report. So that's the Guardian 5K running gun down in, um, is it Owen, Owen, Kentucky? I think it's I think the city. It's Owensville. Owensville. It's the Elk Creek Gun Club. It's beautiful, beautiful facility. And um, this is the second year for it. Uh, Mark, Mike has run it both years. I think, Mark, did you run it last year? No. And I did not. I was going to try, and I, I couldn't make the the schedule happen. So, um, But I ran it this year, and Mike ran it. So um, right off the start, let's talk about the kind of, I guess, match flavor is the best way to put it. Um, Mike, do you want to kind of go, and maybe you can talk about the differences in the match flavor from this year and last year? So Guardian Run... <laughs> Both years have been focused on, uh, I would say, respecting and remembering the sacrifices of first responders, whether they're military or this year the uh, funds raised went to uh, an organization that takes care of uh, firefighters, police, law enforcement, as well as military personnel. I think that, so, that was the, Tunnels to Towers was the organization. Mm-hmm. Yep, it was Tunnels and Towers this year, and I think last year it was 22 until Valhalla. So the uh, match previously, I'd say, had more of a, a flavor similar to, to maybe Legion. Um, this year, uh, the match, a lot of the stages were based off of uh, uh, like movies and stuff, so... There were some military-ish themes, um, as, as well as just some other general interesting uh, film themes as well. So the <clears throat> the match setup is um, they run several briefings throughout the day, and so unlike other matches where you have to show up early in the morning and be there, even if your runtime is at three o'clock, it's a little bit more relaxed of a of a setup. If, if you're running in the morning, you get to the, the morning safety brief. If you're running in the afternoon, you just get to the, uh, the late morning, early afternoon safety brief. Uh, Elk Creek is a functioning club for sporting clays. And so the course is spread out over their facility. And so they close down some of the sporting clay ranges and stages um, and allow us to use them. And then they leave others open. So while we're continuing to do our shooting and running, we have to be mindful of other guests that are also paying to be on the property. But it's an absolutely beautiful property down in Kentucky. And many people ask about the facility. And it's, it's very nice. It's a great place to, to do an event like a running gun. The terrain is uh, very hilly. And they're fairly close together spacing. I would say for many of the people who've done a run and gun at, at possibly Rock Castle or um, have possibly run Heartbreak or Legion in the past, 
I would say it's kind of like one of their 10Ks and elevation change, but compressed into a 5K course. And being understood that the 5K at a running gun could possibly be four miles. Yeah, I think it it ended up being four and a half. Yeah, I'll add on, like, with my... I'd call this a standard running gun. Um, There was not, like... You know, like Legion's kind of known for having the like mental aspect of it, and and we'll get over it. There was one stage that had some of that, but generally it was just kind of a like run, hit a stage, shoot, run, hit a stage, shoot. There was no, um, I, maybe it's a mixture of what you, if you've been to Legion and Heartbreak, they kind of kind of a blend of the two. Um, as far as Mike talking about like the the property, it was it was beautiful. I there was no like issues with the other people shooting you know you'd happen to run by um people shooting sporting clays and they'd wave and i had one of them jokingly uh, offer me a ride that i would have loved to have taken them up on that but um that's kind of standard a lot of times i know at legion last year i passed people shooting sporting clays and as mike said the terrain there's a lot of um this year at least it was a little different from last year i guess but a lot of it was on path so cart path um gravel roads you did run a little bit through some like bush hogged fields and stuff like that so um you know i ran in shorts but i pulled my socks up to try to you know not get scratched up a bunch by the brushed uh brush hog like trees and stuff like that but it was um it, as mike said it was very hilly if you weren't going up a hill you were going down a hill and even though we started and stopped at the same place, it felt like there was a lot more uphills than down. So, all right. So, um, I guess let's go to um, real quick. I guess we forgot to do this: the pre-match training. So, uh, I'll kind of start on that. I did not really get a lot of pre-match training. I mean, I've been in my workout cycle for a while, but um, the week or couple weeks leading up to this, um, there's just been a lot going on, and I have not done a whole lot of running or rucking or any of that. So um, I felt a little underprepared for it. I mean, in reality, my fitness was, you know, ended up being pretty good. I was fairly happy with my performance, but I definitely didn't feel like I was as um, on top of my training as I normally would like to be. So how about you, Mike? So I ran into uh, some respiratory issues that I was fighting in early July and then about a week and a half, two weeks ago. So that definitely slowed down my ability to ruck and train. Um, But I was fairly fortunate that all the work that Ryan and I put in for heartbreak and then post-heartbreak um, had really raised my baseline fitness to be able to ruck. And so even though I was definitely not at a hundred percent physical capability, I think that I was still able to perform at probably a, a decent 80% and, uh, and still was able to really enjoy the match. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I think that's the big thing about fitness is it takes a while to get it. It takes a while to build that up, but you also don't necessarily, it takes a while to lose it. So, you know, you miss a couple of weeks. It's not that big of a deal. You just kind of get back in and start hitting it hard, which I think is 
where me and Mike both are at for uh, Legion coming up. That's probably the next big running gun. All right, so um, we're going to hit maybe gear we used or ran um, and how it, whether it worked out or not. Um, I know I ran a little bit of different gear than I have in the past, and I think Mike did as well, you know, in the kind of ever-evolving um, – that, that ever-evolving gear that we see in matches. So, uh, Mike, you want to start with, with yours and the division you ran and all that? So, Heartbreak offers two classes. They have uh, their lightweight class, which some matches would call it Light Fighter or, or something along that lines. And then they have an operator. It is different than uh, Legion's operator. And the fact that their Guardians is based off of... Uh, a certain weight. So if you weigh over 130 pounds, I believe you're supposed to carry 40 pounds of dead weight does not count your guns. If you are under that, then you're supposed to carry 30 pounds and it it might've been higher than that. I never fall close to the lightweight, so I don't often pay attention to that threshold. So the, uh, the class for the operator is what I chose to run, and I, I ran my traditional chest rig and ruck setup and played with a slightly different belt setup. The pistol was my standard Glock red dot, and then I ran a, a different carbine than normal with an 11.5 and a suppressor for a change, and that worked out pretty well. Uh, any first time issue or any issues with this running a suppressor for the first time? I mean, there's definitely some, I guess, differences and things you have to consider with that. Yes. So I did not run a cover on my suppressor as the one that I had originally picked out was a, a silicone cover and it started to tear very quickly when I used the, the 11.5 in a match previously a few weeks ago. And so I just decided to save the weight and just run it without. Now, for even the matches that we're doing now that tend to be a little bit lower round count because of the ammo uh, shortage, the suppressor still gets pretty warm. And so I did get a little bit of a suppressor kiss on my leg when I was doing an unload show clear on a pistol and the rifle was slung. Um, it did also change a little bit of how I had to do uh, some water crossings. And I'll go into that later. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. We'll we'll definitely talk about the water because that was a big, I think, a big difference. Something new for a lot of running gunners. Um, as far as my gear, I ran in the, I think it's the light category because uh, my knees don't like when I do a ton of weight. So I don't want to push that too much in a match. Uh, I ran my, my 16-inch AR that I built earlier this uh, spring. Um and I, and I kind of build it for run and gun. I have an 18 inch that I've used in the past, but tends to be a little long and heavy and it's a fixed stock. And, um, I, I like it for three gun, but, um, with running plates in some of these matches, I needed something with a collapsible stock. So I did run the, uh, 16 inch rifle that I built, um, ran my regular chest rig. I've got an RDR gear, kind of micro chest rig, similar to like the Haley or the, uh, spiritus and uh maybe the newest thing and i kind of brought it out here i ran my my first red dotted gun so i've had this staccato for a little bit 
and I just got this red dot milled, or got it milled and a red dot put in, the chambers mount. And so this was the first match with a red dot. I am absolutely glad. I didn't have a lot of time on it. I'm still not as quick as acquiring the dot as I would like. But um, a lot of the pistol work in this match was, um, it, it helped to have a red dot. You, you could certainly, like, I would have shot everything with, a, with the iron sights all right. But um, there was definitely some precision shooting in a couple of them, some maybe smaller plates or even medium-sized plates that just started to get out a little bit further, that having that dot kind of sped things up. And, and maybe uh, we'll, we'll talk about the stages in a little bit, and I'll kind of mention how, how that came, came in. And then uh, I, I was, the only thing really different, I did run in shorts because it was hot and there was water and – I didn't want to have my pants, all my pants soaking wet, so I joined the uh, Jorts Running Gun Club. So, so I, I guess Mark, you got any questions for us with what, what's going on here? Anything you want to interject? No, I guess I just maybe you could be clear about what would it take for a dot gun to not be helpful. I think that we've kind of joked here and there about dot guns a long time, and it would have to be pretty much straight up close paper for a dot to not help you, right? Well, I, I will tell you one thing is if you were going to do a water crossing and you did not have a good way to cover that up, um, we'll, we'll discuss it later. You did have to completely get in water. And I know one or two dots did not make it through that swim. Now, I think that'd be more of an argument towards which dot you pick as opposed to which you don't, because some are going to do better than that. But no, there's really not. I, I say that there's not really a time where a dot's not an advantage. There's just times where a dot is a bigger advantage. For like instance, there was a 125-yard pistol shot we'll mention later. Having a dot is a huge advantage, whereas um, some of the other stages, you know, if you put steel at 15, 10, 15 yards, it's kind of, you know, 8-inch, 10-inch steel plates. Yeah, dots faster, but, like, a good iron sight shooter can keep up just fine. And, you know, you. for me, it was kind of – I was kind of up in the air with it because I'm still getting used to a dot, and that, that does take a little bit of time. So, yeah, besides for the getting used to it, I think they're always an advantage. <laughs> yeah, well, it's run and gun. Where are you going to find a good uh, iron sight shooter? Uh, moving on. <laughs> The so would you want to talk about obstacles or do you want to jump into the stages? Because you you've mentioned a bunch about going through water, which doesn't make any sense to me because it's run and gun. It's not a triathlon, <laughs> so I don't get why you guys would be doing anything in water other than like a creek crossing or something like that. Well, uh, yeah, let's. Um, I I kind of had something about obstacles, but we'll. I think we should go into those as they revolve around the stage. Something. I, they kind of use something as a trend I've seen in a lot of running gun that seems to be happening more, which is giving you f physical task to do right before you shoot a stage. So if running isn't enough, you know, if you got the guys that are like walking through the match and they're like, Hey, I'm not going to run. Cool. When you get to the stage, they still want your heart rate up. And so there's still things to do. And they kind of spread those out. It was, um, so what we'll go into that. The first stage you started, ran up a little hill, ran down a hill, kind of around the back of this pond, 
you know, kind of, there was a little uphill there. It wasn't too bad. And you got to the stage called Deadpool. So as um, Mike mentioned earlier, it was movie-themed for almost all the stages. This was apparently a scene where, and I don't watch movies, I haven't seen any of these, but where he only has one bullet, and so he shoots through somebody to shoot somebody else. So the way it was set up, you had like, I think, five pieces of steel that were kind of open that you shot from a box. And then your last shot, you had a wooden silhouette, and there was a hole cut out in the head. Through that, you could see a steel plate behind it. So you had to shoot through that, hit the steel plate, then you move to another box, shot those same five targets again, and then through a different head. Um, it was, I guess you'd say, Virginia count. So you could only take, or it, how do they word that in it? Missing was a, a very big penalty. So um, you needed to go one for one, basically, on everything. I did not. I missed my, I missed, like I shot, missed, hit the next one, missed, hit the next one. So I dropped two shots the whole time before I remembered that. I can't beat the trigger like it owes me money. So, um, and, and I think that was a 90-second penalty, but it was a 90-second penalty if you missed one or you missed all of them. So, you know, but they didn't tell you that at the time. They told you that afterwards. So, um, we'll get into scoring later. Um, it wasn't real happy with that, but it, it was a fun stage. Just my shooting at that point was not something I was real proud of. Uh, anything else you want to add to that, Mike? Only that you need to watch that movie. I'll see. I'll see what I can do. I, there's a couple of them, right? Yeah. It's it's got the guy from Two Guys a Girl in a Pizza Party Parlor, correct? Is that pretty sure? Uh, two Guys a Girl in a Pizza Parlor. Yeah. That's probably that's probably before your time. You guys are too young. <laughs> All right. So, the next stage that we ran to was Saving Private Ryan. And this is one that definitely Wait, had... Have you seen this movie before? Because we're going to cut this off right now if you haven't. I, I, have, I have seen this movie. And I believe we watched the beginning of this movie on the way back from Rock Castle once in my truck. <laughs> so, um, before watching a better movie. Um, yeah, so Mike, do you want to explain this one? Yeah, so this was a really interesting one. You started with a physical challenge where you had to drag a weighted sled, and then you, once you carried it a certain distance, or sorry, drug it a certain distance, you had to pick the weights up out of it, carry them, sit down, and pull a rope to return the sled to the starting position. Once you did that physical activity, then they had you go over load and make ready, and engage two handgun targets. Once you had engaged and neutralized the two handgun targets, they had a tower to shoot clays off of. And so you needed to go over and run up, I believe, was it four four flights of steps? I, it was probably four, yeah. Cause it, and it went up, the, the tower went up higher, but I think it yeah. was almost all the way up. Yeah, and then once you're up there, you loaded and uh, made your rifle ready, and you engaged, I believe it was 
four rifle plates uh, that were probably about th- sorry three rifle plates yep. that were probably no, around. It was it was four rifle plates, and you engaged them three times for a total okay. of twelve hits. Yeah, and those were probably what would you say a hundred ish yards, hundred and twenty yards. Yeah, and and not only were so you're shooting down from the tower, but you're also they're down kind of in a hill, a little gully. So it's a it was pretty extreme angle down that you're shooting at, which made it interesting. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I kind of had an interesting thing with the prop <laughs> where the uh, the weights got stuck, so I couldn't pick them up and pull them out, and so then I had to drag the the sled back to its starting position with some of the weight still in it. So that was a an interesting little prop malfunction to fight through, but I I don't believe it had really any effect on my performance. So the uh, interesting thing when you come into a, a challenge like that is uh, the handgun was not that difficult, but you were going to put some serious distance to get to the rifle uh, position, and you're doing it on your shooting clock. So, yes, you need to get from point A to point B as quickly as possible, but we all understand how flights of steps can affect your heart rate, especially after you've had the, the beep of doom. And you've already <laughs> used one gun. So uh, I definitely tried to make sure that when I was going up those steps, I didn't let my heart rate get uh, get away from me. And then I was able to get into the position. And, and you know, different people chose to engage those targets different, differently. I chose to stand and brace my uh, rifle off the railing. And I know some shooters uh, attempted to like do a prone or kneeling through the railing. Um, others use some of the upright bracing on the tower. But there was a, a lot of options. But I chose just to, to come off the steps, charge the rifle, and just go straight there and, and start engaging the targets. I know I dropped probably a two, two shots, but I was able to move it through pretty quickly. The that is where I got my first uh, hot suppressor kiss, though when I was doing a, an unload on the rifle, and then I let it fall to the sling position and went to do an unload on my pistol, and uh, I, I felt something pretty warm. But luckily, I was able to to move my leg away and only got a small welt, no blister or anything. But that was a, a valuable lesson learned for me, and I'll probably be looking for. Uh, some sort of lightweight suppressor cover that would be durable enough for running gun. So that was my run on the stage. Ryan, how did yours go? Yeah. Um, so, and I, I don't know if Mike said it. So the two pistol targets earlier, and th- this was kind of a theme, you had to shoot them twice, but they weren't letting you double tap them. So you have to shoot like plate one, plate two, plate one, plate two. And then, like you said, he run up the tower, you know, four flights and like, I, I did similar as Mike. I'm I'm trying to move up it quick, but I'm also not like sprinting at like max effort because I don't want my heart rate just to peg you know through the roof. And you know I'm making sure I'm getting really good deep breaths. Um, I got up there and I, my heart rate felt pretty good. I actually did something similar to Mike, but I went to the far right hand where there was an upright pole, and I kind of hunkered myself down against that pole with my gun and uh anything i think i missed you know i dropped maybe two shots and it was mostly just um 
you know, you're transitioning and you're just kind of getting that flash sight picture when you, you need to be uh, aiming a little bit better. Um, I forget where I ended up. I know I was 108 or something like that. And some of the faster times, I think Mike, I know Mike had a little bit faster time. It was, I think the faster times were like 95 seconds. So I wasn't, I, I kind of had a mental blunder at the beginning of it and um, thought I, I put a new trigger in. That's a double uh, two stage. And I started pulling and I was like, oh, that should have broke. Cause I usually have a single stage in that gun. And then I hit thought, oh, I didn't take the safety off. No, the safety's off. So I racked the gun and freaking racked around out. I just didn't <laughs> pull the trigger quite enough. So uh, that was, that cost me a little bit of time and, but yeah, that was, that was a definitely a fun stage. And um, I, it, you get that balance, you know, you got to move quick. You got to do things fast, but you can't do it so fast. I mean, if you get up there and your heart rate's 190, trying to get on a scope and shoot something, you know, at an extreme angle down and the uh, scope, that's the other thing I zoomed up at one. And I was like, oh, I need more zoom. And I zoomed too far. And I probably should have just stayed at one, and that that slowed me down a little. But um, yeah, that was that was a fun stage. So from there, ran down, did a little bit more running through the woods. Uh, seemed like there was another hill, and you got to extraction. This stage, I'm trying to remember all this. Um, you started with a sandbag that you had to drag around. You drug it to a position with pistol plates, and you shot. Uh, what was it like? Five or six pistol plates, Mike? I believe that there was three pistol plates at each okay. position. Okay, and then you had multiple. So you'd shoot some, drag it, go to another position, shoot some more pistol. Um, do we hold? We did we hot holster in that stage too? Yes. And so you hot holstered. Then you had to take the sandbag that was. I don't. It was probably at least 50 pounds, but um, you had a tube, like a three-foot diameter tube that you had to drag this through to get to the other side with your rifle and everything. And then once you got there, you were kind of done. At this point, you were done with the sandbag, and then you had some rifle shooting to do. And uh, it was offhand. It was stuff that, um, you know, I think there was four or five of them that progressively got further away. Yeah, the closest one was probably 50 yards, and the furthest one, or maybe 30, 40 yards, and the furthest one was like 70. Like, they weren't hard shots, but you've been dragging a 50-pound sandbag for a minute now, so, or however long. So, um, that was, again, you know, they're, they're adding this physical stuff in. It's not, it's challenging, but it's not impossible physical stuff, which I, I thought the weights they used, at least for someone my size, were seemed pretty reasonable throughout the match. Would you agree, Mike? Yep, I'd say the weights were reasonable. <clears throat> uh, when you're coming into a stage like that, you often have to consider how you're going to tackle it. Um, it was one of them where they made me shoot with my ruck on. So certain stages, they let you drop ruck. Others, they let they forced you to shoot with it. So not only did I have my ruck, but I also had the sandbag. And since I was going to be moving with a pistol, I know certain people picked up the bag. I decided just to grab it by one of the handles and drag it from box to box. And then when I was done engaging the pistol targets, I set my rifle on top of the sandbag and then pushed the the bag and the, the long gun through the tube in front of me. 
And then I was able to, to get through, climb over the bag, stand up, make the rifle hot, engage. Yeah, and see, for me not having a bag, I, I took that sandbag at the beginning of the tube. I, my rifle was slung on my back, and I pretty, and I basically just, like, tossed it as far as I could in there. And I, it got, you know, a third halfway through and then did the same thing as Mike, got behind it and just kind of pushed it through and and crawled over it. There's The ROs were taking some pictures. There's a pretty good picture of me. I, I thought it was a fun stage. I didn't think it was that hard. But um, this picture of me is me, like, coming out of the tube, and, like, the look on my face just looks like like I've di- I've died inside. I mean, it's it looks like there's way more effort being put in than I really thought that I was doing. So, um, yeah, well, a- anything you want to add to that or ask Mark? Nope, I think you guys covered it. Um, yeah, go ahead. Cool. So uh, next one, you actually had this was a good hill that we went up. It was I say good in that it was pretty darn steep and um it seemed to never end and um you actually had gone through a little valley and then you're going up this back hillside and i i I ended up fidgeting around i was trying to get my rifle set up and get mags all squared away and the scope i'm using is mike's i ended up knocking his scope cap off where found it later on in the match so i was lucky to have that but you get to the top of the hill and there is the American Sniper stage, which I think was one of maybe my favorite stage of it. It was super simple. Well, it was my favorite stage because I succeeded at it. I think a lot of people it probably wasn't because I think the whole weekend five people made hits on the target. So to lay it out, you have like an elevated roof and it was a fairly tame elevation, not real steep, maybe 15 degrees or something. And above it, there was a roof and then like um, Geely cloth type, you know, netting in front of it to kind of simulate a sniper's hide. There's a little cutout in it for your rifle and your um, your optic to see through a front on it. So um, the stage was simple. You had one target that you had 30 seconds to shoot and it was you only got two shots. So you got two shots, you got 30 seconds to get it off in. And the kind of the catch to it was that the target was, I think the RO said he lasered it at 530 yards. It looked like a full-size silhouette. So not not tiny, but uh, at 530 yards, that's a pretty good poke for what, you know, most people are using 5.56 in this. So um, I know I had a first-round hit on it. I know... Mike, was yours a first-round hit as well? Yep. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, we were the one of the five to to get it. And um, I, you know, they told you, if you ask, that was part of it. You could ask as many questions as you want. You could get settled in, take your time, and then find the target, and then tell the RO and find it again. And he'll, he'll you know, if you say, hey, how far is that target? He's going to tell you. So that was kind of a, a maybe a mental trick they they did. That they didn't tell you in the stage brief, but as long as you ask, you knew. So knowing that, I just I dialed and um, was able to just hold dead on. And the wind, I think, cooperated a little bit for me. It wasn't real crazy. But yeah, that was a very interesting, simple stage, but um, definitely challenged people. So you want to add anything, Mike? Yep. Um, 
<clears throat> that is definitely one of those things where always ask the ROs. Don't be so focused on trying to blow through the stage or something where you you compromise your shooting performance for five or ten seconds of runtime. Because I, I talked to so many people that they just that didn't even occur to them. They didn't think about talking to the ROs and. You know, I I asked, and they gave me the the exact distance, and I was very fortunate with the loads that I was running in that eleven five that I had a perfect BDC line, and uh, so I was able to to hold there. But I mean, if not, I would have had time to to look up and actually, you know, check Straylock on my runtime, and you know, okay. 30 seconds to pull out a phone and, and get real live dope for a distance or completely bomb a stage. Think outside the box. Yeah. It, yeah. And the way that they did it, I thought was smart. The RO's explaining it. And he said, feel free to ask as much as you, as much as you want. So they didn't tell you the distance, but the RO in it kind of was like hinting like, Hey, Ask as much as, you know, feel free to ask whatever questions you need. So that was one of them. I um, I ended up using, which really helped. I had my backpack, hydration pack, which I put down. And I even, at most of these matches, if I'm carrying a backpack, I bring a rear bag now. So I even had a rear bag. So I set my barricade stop on the front of that wood. And once I got that rear bag and everything, I was really, I mean, I was locked in probably tighter than more steady than even shooting at benches sometimes. So um, like Mike said, it's one of those, eh, so what I, I dicked around with that stuff for 30 seconds to a minute or something like that, really getting comfortable, but to, you know, have a time in the top, you know, five or whatever was, was well worth it. So that was, that was kind of an interesting one. Brian, did you have to dial or look at any sort of dope chart, or did you just have a similar situation where you could pull out a phone and, and kind of uh, figure it out? I, I had an idea that there was going to be some longer shots, and so I just kind of knew a couple of my where to go. So, you know, generally. So once I knew the distance, I just dialed, dialed to that. So Because that distance ended up being kind of middle of two of my red, uh uh, stadia line so it just seemed easier just to just to dial so well, I, I'm, I'm just taking away that bdc works really well and then sort of moa maybe not so good but you have to dial just kind of from this chat well no i i my <laughs> i had a mill i had a mill reticle so well, well i know so but far, they, let's they just... <clears throat> i mean far, let's really the... someone in this Someone in this chat has been chasing a load to match their BDC, and they're looking for some validation. Yes, yeah. Um, I'm sure that the viewers can figure it out. But in my case, <laughs> with with the drop on the optic I was using, it was meant for a 20 inch barrel gun shooting a 55 grain load. So the the BDC <laughs> looks nothing like it's supposed to with an 11.5 inch barrel pushing a 77 grain load. So what I I got very fortunate to have a BDC line that worked. And I know some people will actually look at their phone for dope pre-stage. I generally will either write it on the stock or affix it to my optic or 
um, like Armageddon gear makes these little uh, like dry erase uh, Velcro uh, placards that you can put on your gear and you can write your dope on that. So there's lots of good ways if you don't want to carry a phone to be able to carry dope with you while you're running on your, your gun is a great way or on your kit for a quick reference is another. Right. So I want to make a joke, but what Mike just said is what I was actually looking for is that, you know, there is a need for this idea of shooting beyond 400 yards, you know, because we think it's funny to push a 223 that far. And so knowing either by having the app or by having a dope chart or by being able to dial or knowing your BDC or mill or MOA, that makes sense. And it's valuable in these sort of situations. And while it was only one shot, now that's a huge leg up if you were struggling on a different stage, if you were number five, you know, not if you're even the fastest, you were the fifth guy that just made that hit you had a huge leg up on literally everybody else. So it's, I, I'm going to make the joke, but also it's something, if you've made it this far and you're still listening for something valuable, there's a lot of different ways to get that information and make it work for you in the actual event. Yeah, I agree. Cause that's the best reticle is the one that you know how to use plain and simple. And sometimes that's a BDC uh, you know, I think like me and Mike tend to gravitate towards mill now, but it's it's whatever you use. I mean, I was shooting 55 grain reloads that were like 2850. So like they, I, I doubt there's a reticle out there designed for 55 grain at 2850. It's it's pretty slow for for that. I mean, I, I think I was barely, you know, I was I'm towards the transonic at 500 yards, but I knew my hold, and that that was kind of the important part. So we'll move on. Uh, let me get my notes out here. The next stage was, um, oh, actually the next stage from there was not really a shooting stage. It was the pond, what we've been alluding to this whole time. The MDs alluded to it, talking about going for a swim, make sure your gear's waterproof, yada, yada, yada. And we're all like, is this fake intel or what's going on? No, they had a little pond there. They have a dock. They had a line going from one end of the dock to the shore. And uh, as you came up on it, there was harnesses and you had to get in the water and cross. A lot of people handled it a lot of different ways. Some people, which this is the quickest way, dove right in, swam across with their gear, called it a day. Um, I think me and Mike took similar routes, maybe doing it a little bit differently. I, I brought a construction plastic bag and i literally took all my gear off and and stuffed everything but shirt and pants and stuffed it in there i broke my ar in two then i wrapped paracord on that bag attached it to the little carabiner that was on the line and swam it across that way so when i got across took the bag open it managed to keep everything pretty darn dry and i mean i I took my shoes and socks off i wasn't running if i'm gonna put over if i'm a bag i'm gonna bag everything so um, I had dry, I had a towel. I dried off my feet. I had dry feet and socks and dry gear. So, um, it was a gamble cause I took a time. If you didn't do the pond at all, it was a 15 minute penalty. So I don't really know how long I took, you know, if I took 10 minutes, I saved five. I, I, I don't know if it was worth it. Having said that the next 
three stages after that. I had all top ten finishes. I had like two top tens and a like a six or eight or something like that. And some of the ROs were saying that they had people come into their stage with red dots that weren't working, that had um, single shot guns because they were hydro locked. Magazines were were you know locked up. Um, and these are not like you know I'm using. Uh, a race gun, you know, 1911, 2011, they're supposed to jam on everything, but these are Glocks and MMPs and like polymer guns that have so much water stuck in them that the firing pin's not hitting or they're not cycling and, and that sort of thing. So you, you kind of had to weigh that out. You had to know what your gear did. So anyone want to add that? Yeah, Ryan and I did a similar method. I was doing the weight class, so by uh, taking heavy trash bags and double bagging my ruck, then dropping my pistol shoes and chest rig in, I was able to pretty much keep everything dry. The only thing that did not get in the dry bags were my rifle because I was running a suppressor and it was still a little warm from the previous stages and I was worried about melting the plastic bag material and causing it to fail. So I just put that slung across my back and hope that the uh, good engineers and manufacturing folks at Steiner and Trigicon knew what they were doing when they were putting together their uh, optics. And so I, I was careful putting the suppressor on my back to not burn myself and uh, used a, a drag line. And the, the reason I used a drag line with about 20 foot is if something would happen and my kit goes to the bottom, I don't want it to drag me to the bottom. And I also want to be able to retrieve it from the bottom. So having a long drag line is, is kind of insurance, so to speak. They had a safety line that stretched, but it wasn't enough to it wasn't taut enough to keep gear out of the water. But I still put an umbilical cord from my bagged ruck to there to try to keep it from sinking to the bottom if the bags would fail. And I swam across, and the uh, good folks at the optic manufacturers did their uh, job. So I was able to get out and uh, have a bunch of dry equipment like Ryan. And I made sure to clear my rifle, rack the bolt, uh, open the optics covers and everything to make sure that that uh, that rifle was as dry as possible. Yeah, and I, I should add they they had a, I guess you'd say a safety person there. Um, one of the MDs was stationed there the whole time, so if something would have happened, he was there and uh, had the ability to help rescue people. So they're not just turning people loose in the water and saying, "Hey, hope you don't drown," but um. You know, Mike makes a good point because I don't know how deep it was, but they're really until you got within like four or five feet of the shore, you couldn't touch the ground. So um, it was definitely deep enough that you you had to swim. You weren't just walking your gear across. Yeah. And there's two takeaways we've had from other matches that when talks to getting your gear wet and possibly losing it. We watched a team at the Wolverine Challenge that we did a few months ago lose all their kit because it wasn't secured to their canoe. Uh, I can't imagine the financial loss that was incurred by that team. And yeah. then also uh, quality lubricant is a big thing because it, if your guns get wet, I've seen it at Legion where some of the nicest guns and, and, and things considered 
combat grade by many Americans. And, and, you know, they look at duty grade guns go down because of, of lubrication issues. So make sure you're running a high quality lubricant that is got some staying power. If you're going to be out in the rain or if the, the weapon will be submerged. And, uh, I always carry a, a small, uh, container of lube with me on the run. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And we've, you know, Mike talking about like trust in the optics company, we've gotten these guns really wet. So, you know, I had less concerns about optics and stuff failing, but at the same time, submerge completely submerging your gun comes with, with risk. I mean, it really, it, it only takes just a little bit of, uh, you know, a leak in your seal. You get a little speck of dust in your cap that your battery tray has and, and they can get wet. So, um, it was an interesting challenge, and it in I mean, it seemed to work out pretty well. I was maybe a little skeptical of it at first, and I it wasn't my I don't know I want to do one in every match, but it ended up better than I was expecting it. I'll put it that way. So uh, next, we'll kind of keep going through this. The born identity. So you came out of that. You could pretty much you went up a hill, kind of down a hill. You could pretty much follow the path because there was wet footprints and stuff the whole the whole way on the concrete um this was a really short little stage they had a stage gun you had a little over under shotgun uh two clays that launched across a little pond Uh, you know they give you the beep you yell pool the first one go across you break it second one go across you break it and then once that was done you emptied it out stowed it next to you and then you had a, what was it, Mike, 45-ish, 50-yard pistol shot? Um, Maybe not that, 35 yards? 60 yard. Okay. I, I would say it was probably closer to 50 to, to 60. I know I definitely overestimated the distance at first and uh, fired a few unnecessary rounds because of it. But, yeah, all you had to do was get a single hit on it. But, like you said, it's a little bit further, and uh, – You've just got done swimming and running up and down hills. And, you know, there's a little railing there I kind of braced on. I think I got it my second shot. But uh, kind of short stage, but but a fun stage. So I don't know if there's much more to say about that one. Just You're, uh, enjoying sporting clays to get practice because this is the third, yeah, I believe the third running gun that I've shot or a teammate has had to shoot aerial clays. So... And, and running gunners, and running gunners mostly hate shotguns. So I think it's great as a as a three gunner. I usually do fairly well on it. I I only got one of the two clays this weekend, but um, I, I guess that was still more than a lot of people. So um, you do a little bit more running. Uh, somewhere in this point, I believe we start getting to the infamous ladders. Um, the MDs at Guardian and their wisdom would find two trees next to each other and they would say that looks like a great place for a ladder and so they'd string boards across it and not your normal spacing for a ladder but closer to two or three feet so you've really got to reach up and it's like a deep lunge getting up there it's it sucks and They've got those spread out throughout the course. I think this is about the time you start hitting those. Because you actually go up a hill kind of behind the pond, and the it's off trail now, and you're it's a little more rugged. 
But you wind through that and you get to Tombstone. This was another stage with some physical activities before it in the form of a, I don't know, four foot, three, three foot, four foot log with a decent diameter that you had to move from one place to the other and then move it back. Not impossible. Um, I drug it. I kind of grabbed it and like drug it back and forth. And apparently I, at that point in the day, I was the first one to do that. Everyone else was like flipping it. I don't know whose was smarter, but I felt like that was a fast way to do it. Then you got your gun hot. This was pistol only. And you started, uh, there was a, a wall. You had to get down, you had to get prone, and you had to put two shots on the steel from underneath the wall. Then you stood up, walking down a path that have three targets that you had to shoot the steel targets on the move. So you had to continue to move. You couldn't stop. And you had to shoot those three before you got to a specific line. And then same thing with the next. You did like three stations of that. Three, then you could get to the next one. Three, the next three. And then you ran forward and there was like one more. You could stop there, but there's one more steel kind of off to the right. You couldn't see till the end. Um, it was a fun stage. I, you know, shoot and move fairly well. So um, I would kind of get my nice you know, smooth walk and ping, ping, ping. Once I hit that, I'd run to the next line that you could start shooting from. And then same thing, ping, 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 and, and kind of head through. I had a pretty good uh, stage time on that. So um, anything else you want to add or you remember about that, Mike? Yeah, so just when uh, doing stuff that makes you either go prone or lay down or something with a handgun, just walk to your, your muzzle. That's something that I've, I've seen guys DQ. And so I explained to the RO before the, the beep even went off my plan, how I was going to get down, how I was going to engage, and then how I was going to get up. And, you know, that's one of those things where it, it was on my runtime. It took five seconds, but the RO understood what I was going to be doing with the gun. And then sometimes if you say it out loud, you might catch yourself doing something stupid. So uh, it was just one of those things of think through the stage before you get into it. Kind of like when you climb those ladders out there with the weight, you got to think through before you execute the, the, the obstacle. Otherwise, you could get yourself in a bind. And if you're doing it with weight, it's, it's way less forgiving. Yeah, I, I agree. And. I'll say the other thing is like with Mike's talking about, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get down. My gun's going to be pointed here. The RO may say, oh, no, 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 your gun can't point that way. That's that's not the 180, you know, or something like that. With run and gun and these natural train stages, 180s aren't always as obvious. Like safe directions aren't as obvious as a, a bay. So I, I think that's a good point. You you do explaining that may save you a trip to the Dairy Queen after the match. So, um is there any th any questions you've had, Mark? No, I think you guys have covered it really well. All right. So uh, we continue on through the woods. We've got more of the ladders. Um, actually, at this point, a little bit before the last stage, and there were seven stages of the match, there was the tallest of the ladders, and they actually had like a auto belay system with it because – I it was pretty tall. I mean, I 
I would say 20 or 30 feet. Does that sound right, Mike? Yeah, I, I would say it's definitely up in the, probably the 15, 20 foot range. It's probably out of all the obstacles I've done and all the different races. Um, it's the one that with weight is the most concern to me, even above swimming with it, just because uh, even with an auto belay system, carrying weight up and over it, and they're not true climbing harnesses. You know, we're just hooking onto our riggers belts and things like that. It's a terrible uh, price to pay if you slip. So that goes back into what I was talking about of looking at an obstacle, plan your route, and make sure that you can do it because um, it, it's definitely tough. And if you come into a match where you're doing um, anything with ropes or belaying, you know, even if it's not a running gun, just be very mindful of each move. I know that I've done some uh, high ropes courses and, and rock wall type stuff as, as a teenager. And uh, so being around some auto blaze and things like that in the past, I, I noticed very quickly when the line started wrapping around my torso and, and stuff in ways that it shouldn't. But everyone's not familiar with these things. So plan your routes out. Make sure you're executing a safe line of travel through the obstacles. Yeah, I so I didn't. I was obviously I wasn't running with weight. Um, the other thing about this this particular ladder, the trees were really narrow, so it didn't quite give you as much room to to work with. Which, um, yeah, I mean it was it was kind of narrow. I I didn't use the auto belay system. You know, halfway up, I kind of regretted that because um, like just getting over the top i mean the the spacing of it it wasn't just like you get up there and you can throw your leg over really good and i was kind of cramping up at that point so um that was probably the sketchiest thing i've done in a match um it was fun and i see the thing i i kind of hope they don't get too crazy in the future with it because um i just i worry someone may get hurt because that, that's kind of a uh, you know, there was someone kind of in the woods at the same time as me, and I even asked, I said, are you all right to get over? You want me to hang around? And he's like, no, no, I'm good. But, you know, I just, you don't want to come up on someone that's falling off a height like that. So um, it's kind of interesting, but I, I hope it doesn't get too too much higher than that because um, that, that could hurt someone. So. Well, couldn't you say the same thing about swimming, too? Like, you assume that everyone knows how to swim, but that's not a fair mm. assessment. Yeah, um, and I had that concern. They did have an RO there, you know, a safety person. And also, you could have just grabbed onto that line and drug yourself across if you couldn't swim. Um, and you also had the option to just take a 15-minute penalty hit. So if, if you can't swim, 15 minutes is a pretty good trade-off to drowning. If, if you gave me that, I'd, I'd take that bet. So the penalty for not doing the ladders then? Uh, so... <laughs> That's a good question, and I don't know, and I don't know that they were not, and I don't. So you could have just walked right by them. You could have. Yes, and and that is, if I had a complaint about running guns, and and I think everyone has, for the most part, everyone's got integrity, and and there's one more kind of scoring thing I'll mention at the next stage that someone had a comment about, but. I, you know, I got to the end and no one, they took my name for my final time, but nobody asked me, Hey, did you do all the obstacles? Did you do all the ladders? 
So even if you wanted to tell someone, no one asked. I mean, if you didn't think about it, you wouldn't. You wouldn't know. So um, you did get a poker chip when you went through the water. So that's how at the end they knew if you went through the water or not. Um, but it, that's one of those competitive equities. We're kind of all in the honor system, but um, some people are more honorable than others. And in this case, even if you didn't mind telling someone that you didn't do it, no one really was asking or I, you know, I don't know that they had a way to penalize it. So that's that's a good a good point. And maybe something match directors of running guns could should really consider, you know, going forward if they care. So we'll, we'll keep scooting along. Uh, there's more woods. This this whole section we've been talking about is kind of up and down deer trails and through woods. Um, you went up after that. You kind of went up this brush hogged hill that was pretty. It was probably one of the harder parts of the match for me. I mean, you're pretty winded and worn at this point, and um, I was dragging pretty hard coming up that hill. Uh, at the top of the hill, you had the last stage. This was Guardian Brain Buster. So um, this one was a tough stage, and, and it was more mental than physical. You had two VTAC boards. The first VTAC board was rifle only. You had a target down a hill, kind of extreme angle, at 125 yards. You had ports with letters on them. You had to spell, so two hits on the target, so double taps, from each letter, and you had to spell out guardian. So G-U-A-D-I-A-N. They had two A's. The kind of running joke with the R-O is that there are two A-holes, and you have to penetrate both of them. But, um... Brian, and it's the R. Start over. <laughs> the R. The R. I feel like you spelled it wrong. Maybe we'll have to rewind it yeah. back. But that... Well, here's the here's the here. Uh, oh, surprise for you! I spelled it wrong in the match as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the second board had, as they explain it, you shot the ports. There was a single target at 25 yards, and you shot the ports in ascending order by number. That's all they told you. So you go, you shoot guardian, yada yada. You finish ends on the ground, so you ground your gun on the ground. You go over the other one, and you're expecting one, two, three, four, and there's 78, 116, 148, 97, all these, and you gotta, you're trying to quickly look. You're racing the clock. It's 180 seconds par time, and you're trying to pick the right ones. Uh, surprise, I can't count any better than I can shoot, or I can spell and probably shoot, so... I butchered both of those. The silver lining is that if you messed up the spelling or the counting on either of them, it was a single 30-second penalty. After you got done with all that, you had the opportunity, and this is on your run time, off the shoot time, they had that rifle target at 125 yards. So standing between the two VTAC boards, you had one pistol shot to hit that 125-yard target. And then it was a two-minute bonus, so two minutes off of your runtime. And um, so I can't spell, but I can at least shoot a target at 125 yards. So um, the, what we were talking about earlier. So when you did that, they gave you two little cards. There was a red card that you gave at the end 
that was supposed to be your penalty for the 30-second penalty. And then a blue card, a blue or tan or something, I forget, that was your two-minute off. So kind of one of my problems with that is that 30-second red card, if you didn't have the blue card, you may completely forget that's in your bag or choose not to give it, and then you're not penalized for that. Uh, one of the competitors actually asked the RO what – well, what happens if I just don't give it to him? And I thought it was one of the match directors. I thought he had the greatest answer. He said, your integrity is not worth 30 seconds. And that is probably true for most people, but maybe not true for everybody. So, you know, that's something that there maybe should have been a way just to toss that in practice score at the time. But, um, yeah, so Mike, uh, I, I actually got to watch Mike shoot this one. He had a pretty good time on it. Uh, you want to talk any about it? So while I had a decent time, my spelling uh, went south partway through Guardian. I, I tried to spell it out loud as I went. <clears throat> and, you know, it was interesting. They had you firing two rounds through each port. And I think my spelling would have been fine if it was a single round. But your, your mind going through the recoil and the second shot process is just enough time away from that last letter that you know you said or thought that when you come back out of the port you're you're trying to re-engage that other task uh i thought of several ways that i could have and should have gained that but you know hindsight's 2020 i i enjoy those type things and uh i'm glad that they didn't make the the penalty too unbelievable um but i, I think those stages definitely have a place in a match I'm not sure if the place is the very last stage of the day, um, but they definitely do belong in a match. Yeah, and so uh, this they had a couple ROs back out at the last minute, so they actually only had one RO on that stage, which it kind of is what it is. Um, it was not a great situation for him. So when I finished my run earlier in the day, I actually went out there to help so that he wasn't there by himself, and so I got to see a lot of people run through this. And I will say to do it fast and do it right, like the, the fastest guy did, was definitely the strategy. But I saw a lot of people who really focused, I think, too hard and ended up timing out before getting everything done and ended up with like a 182nd part-time. Plus, sometimes they would screw up the spelling along with it. So you've got 30 seconds plus 180, that is not as good as what, like my 145 seconds and a 30 second, you know, or whatever the time was, 145. But um, so there was a balance, you know, like everything in shooting, we were trying to do things fast and sometimes we make mistakes and, and what do you want to do? So um, you could definitely think too hard on the cognitive part and lose the shooting part. And actually I... I saw a ton of things that I think we're going to do a whole episode on shooting barricades because I saw a lot of mistakes that I've, I've seen in a lot of other matches. So I think that's probably a good topic to talk about. So um, that's the last thing you finish up with kind of a pedestrian run. It, it's on trails. It's the, the hills aren't too bad. It was kind of an uneventful ending of the match, which was nice because you, you're pretty smoked by that point. Uh, anything you want to talk about with the run or the stages, Mike, before we go on to like scoring and some other stuff? 
Um, I'll just say that the run this year was a little bit easier and, and easier to pace yourself than last year. Last year, it was a lot of brush hogged paths and deer trails. And so it was difficult to make time. It was uh, uh, just a constant battle. And it actually, even as a 5K between that and the train, gave me the highest heart rate of any running gun I've ever done. This year, uh, with the combination of the trails and some of the training and stuff that I've done, uh, I, I went from having one of the worst heart rates that I've ever had at a running gun to one of the better heart rates I've ever had. And so uh, just always have some uh, idea of the progress that you've made in your training as well. Slightly off topic, but I'll just throw it out, out there. But no, they, they did a great they did a great job with the Guardian 2.0. And I really look forward to seeing what they do next year and uh, in partaking in that. Yeah, same same for me. Mark, did you have any questions or anything before we go on? Nope, I think you guys hit it all. Okay, so um, the next thing, um, I don't, I, I'm going to present this. This is constructive criticism. This isn't necessarily these match directors alone. Some of this is things I've seen at a couple running guns, and but it did happen here. Scoring was a little unclear and confusing at times. Um, I don't know how much of that was intentional to prevent gaming or what you know like the first stage whether you missed one shot or you missed all of the shots it was the same 90 second penalty and I, you know i don't know how i feel about that the um I, I we mentioned the like little cards that you have to take in that maybe someone will forget or on purpose not turn in the obstacles you know if you don't do them what's it and then maybe a bigger thing is and this is somewhat of a practice score thing when you look in the results with practice score it, it's really hard to tell who won, what the thing is. I mean, I don't know if this will kind of show up, but, I mean, you've got run plus shoot, which is what I would think would be the final results. But then you have run only, and that's run and gun results. Then you have shooting results, which has a bunch of the stages, and each of these have, like, review, combined, open, division. You've got class leaders, category leaders, view individual results. It's just, there's a lot of, I, I, we don't know at this point, I think they're going to clarify and do like a gun stuff TV um, announcement as to like final scores and who won what. As of right now, it kind of looks like Mike Ford won the, the operator class. And I think maybe I got sixth or seventh place, which would be my highest finish to date, but it's a little confusing. So some of that's practice score. Some of that is just that these running guns don't have written a lot of written rules and kind of standards. And so each one of them is a little different, but it, it's a little hard to gauge your progress. I don't, if any, you guys want to add something or just make me the bad guy in this. Brian, it seems like you'd like a governing body, perhaps some. Absolutely. You know, just, Read my lips. Who was going, you know, maybe perhaps how each range would go, what they would say. I mean, if we no. could do something like that, maybe even specify the guns. No. Some sort, I'm, 
we'd have elections? No. A president, area leader? No. Like the, I mean, we're... No. I, can I mute... I, Mike, can I mute him? No, I... I, I do not want to see a run-and-gun USPSA or a, even a run-and-gun three-gun. Um, what I would like is, to me, there's two ways you can take this. If you want this to be a test of gear and not a competition, you can have a loose set of rules. You can have and just say, hey, here it is. Go out, shoot it, whatever. But don't keep score. Don't, don't worry about that. But if you're going to keep score... And you're going to have prizes and or even if you don't have prizes, a trophy, if you have something, if you're keeping score, I'm kind of the mindset that I would like it to be consistent within the match itself. It doesn't have to be consistent match to match, but it would be nice to have it consistent enough that when I'm done, I know how I did and I know that it was fair. And I think some of it's that even though the sport as a sport or event has been around for a while now in various forms, especially out West, there's growing pains and teething and people figuring things out. But um, there's just times we get done with these. And I know like, I'm like, Hey, I know that guy didn't do any obstacles and he got the same runtime or close to the same runtime as me. Like, yeah, I'm going to do the obstacles because it's fun and I want to challenge myself and do it the way it's intended, but it's kind of a kick in the dick, you know? <laughs> I mean, well, I, yeah, I just, I like, I like the things to be fair. And if nothing else, so that I know that if I beat Mike, cause I'm, I'm trying to beat Mike. If I beat Mike, I want to know that I beat him because I ran better, faster, shot better. Not because the scoring just was set up in a way that the RO didn't know and put this in or, you know, whatever it is. Does that make sense? I mean, are anyone else in agreement? No, it totally makes sense. I mean, I think that each match you'll, you'll find a couple more rules that you really want implemented and then we'll, we'll carry those on in the next match. And then there'll be another match where you want a couple more rules and we'll carry those all together and eventually we'll get to some sort of governing body and uh, I, specific rules. Yeah, I think a lot of... <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm teasing you, but yeah. this is how it goes. This is why USPSA, like, you know, like, I know yeah. you enjoy shitting on USPSA. We could all spend an hour shitting on USPSA, but this is how it got that way. When I teach students, when I teach undergrads and stuff like that, I say, my, my syllabus didn't used to look like this. Every rule has a name. It was some person did this or something, and that's how we end up like this. And this is how you codify games. You know, you want certain levels of fairness, and that's what happens. And you just have to balance out how much you want rules to how much you want to have fun. And at what point do the rules get in the way of your fun, or does the fun get in the way of your rules? Yeah, and, so. and I agree with that. And you, you can look like find that middle ground. Like there's a lot of outlaw three guns. All these little rule sets that are different, and they're a lot the same, but they do these things differently. But, like, generally, if you go to a three-gun match that's using a written rule set, it's going to be fair. You know, it's going to be scored fair. Maybe different than this other one, but it's just, you know, it doesn't have to be even that extreme. Maybe not a written rule book, but I just it would be nice to, to know that if I whoever I beat, I beat because I put in the work and got it done, and not just because... You know, someone 
scored this really weird and it just kind of it just happened to be that way so I, I don't know if you have anything to add to that mike or if you just want me to be the the bad guy in this i'm fine with that well i mean i'm not going to name names or anything but i've had a fairly large match where uh you know everyone was like hey look mike got first came over got a bunch of congratulations and you know like 10 minutes later it was like yeah nope you got second so you know i don't want to sound like a complainer but I, I do think there's room for improvement on the, the scoring as a body. I know that, uh, like Matt Stennett at Legion, he is probably one of the the, the MDs that has uh, perfected the scoring system the most. But I've also watched him uh, go and slave over his spreadsheets for like an hour and a half or two hours after the results are in to make sure they're right. So uh, there's definitely uh, some improvement that could be made. And, and I don't even know if that's so much the, the MDs or if we just as a community need to get together and ask practice score, if we can come up with something a little bit more geared towards running gun. Uh, I think they're running kind of a modified system that the practice score had said could work for this, but is definitely not ideal. So I don't think we need the governing bodies and all that fun stuff, but there's room for improvement, but there is everywhere. And ultimately uh, you got to be out there to have fun. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, I don't, I don't want to make this sound like this is a guardian thing because they did a great job. It was a great match. Some of this has just been like Mm -hmm. something I've been wanting to mention because it's like, it seems like every run and gun I go to, there's always something where I'm just like, how, how did that happen? Or like, why isn't that scored that way? Or like I said, I know that guy didn't do any obstacles and he's got the same score as this guy who did. I mean, there's just, there's just some stuff that and maybe it could be improved. So, and, and I saw a couple things at guardian that I thought, Hey, you know, the little cards, there's a lot of room for error there, whether it's intentional or accidental. So maybe, maybe that's something to improve next year. I don't know. I, I would definitely be going back. Um, Hopefully I can RO next year again. Um, you know, I kind of did half this match this year, but um, I do like helping out, and it was a fun match. Those guys do do an awesome job. So, uh, and Mark's going to fly down. Yes, we're going to get Mark down there. Yeah. We, so um, as a wrap-up, uh, I'll, I'll kind of speak my piece, and then we'll let Mike and Mark, if he's got anything to say, but – I had an awesome time. Uh, it looks like it's probably the highest match finish I've had at a running gun. And partially from just putting in the work with the, the cardio, I've always had good shoot scores. You know, I think I was sixth or seventh in shooting. And uh, it's nice that I'm able to keep that shoot score and kind of bump up my runtime a little bit. I've got a lot of work to do on that still. But um, yeah, I thought it was this low round count. I, I let me look this up real quick. I I shot fifty five rifle and sixty three pistol. Now sixty three pistols because I even with a red dot I still suck at pistol and I probably had more makeup shots than I should have. But that for a low round count, man, it was a, a really good challenging match. So seven stages and that that kind of round count. So the MDs did a an awesome job of challenging you but keeping 
the round count to a, a, le, a COVID ammo scare level. And, and really, they could have added more targets, and I don't – it wouldn't have been any better. It was, it was perfect the way it was. So um, I, I thought they did a great job. I'm looking forward to next year. So, Mike, you want to close out? Yeah, I just wanted to uh, thank the MDs. I think they did a, a good job in creating a course that was challenging. Um, and honestly, even if it wasn't an ammo scare, I don't really feel like that you need a whole bunch of more rounds to have fun. Uh, no, I, that's I one of the things that, that three guns suffers is a lot of people think that you got to go out and have a high round count to have fun. And Guardians matured. The match directors obviously matured and took some lessons away from last year. And I cannot wait for Guardian 3.0. This was an absolute blast. And, and it was an absolutely fun time seeing the running gun family and hanging out with them. So if you want to get out, find a community of great like-minded shooters that is incredibly supportive. I highly recommend the running gun community. It, it was missing one thing, though, Mike. Do you know what that was? Jim, Jimmy Nutt it was not there. Uh, yeah, yep. Yeah. No Jimmy Nutt, but hopefully that, we'll get a good dose of him later this year. Yeah, that, that cast a little bit of a cloud over the event. Mark, you got anything you want to ask or kind of toss in there? Yeah, my last comment is if you've made it 75 minutes into this podcast or video and you're still listening, please tell us what we can do to make this better. Do you want them shorter, longer, different content, different format? Help us help you. Help us make this better. Do it on Facebook. Do it on YouTube. Do it in private messages. Whatever it takes, help us make this better. We we enjoy doing this, but we want to do it for you guys as well. So please let us know what we can do to make this better for you. That's Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, I guess aren't you supposed to say like and subscribe? Hit the like no, button. Don't in one of these. Don't like. We don't want that. We want to be. We're we're underground. We're not on the mainstream. Keep this on the download, but help us make it better for the yeah. the in group. I right agree. Now. And if you have questions, like we're not the be all experts. I mean, Mike wins matches. Me and Mark just show up and usually drive in there. But um, we. We've been around this, these sports long enough that we can give you a pretty good direction on how to get better about things and how to how to perform or, or what we see wrong or you know that kind of thing. So if you've got questions, ask them because we like talking about this and we like helping people. So, um, yeah, thank you guys for staying tuned here. And uh, we'll have another episode here before long. Thanks.